I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Deus Volt. Welcome to This Week in Church History. I'm here with my co-host, Mike McMullen. This is John Mark Yates. We are talking about the Crusades this week. All the way back in 1095, the last week of November at the Council of Claremont, we had a call for a crusade to take back the Holy Land. The rallying cry, Deus Volt, Deus Volt, God wills it. And from that, we end up with a mess of medieval civilization. So thanks for joining us this week as we talk about the Crusades, which uh, in many respects are uh, just an astounding moment in the history uh, of the church. Uh, I remember hearing about these the first time ever, uh, actually at uh, Hebrew University. Uh, I'm listening to my uh, professor talk about, uh, in in a class dealing with Jewish and Christian history, and he is talking about the Crusades and it's something that wasn't covered in my history classes um, too thoroughly in, uh, in high school, nor in my Christian college. So to hear this uh, at Hebrew University, I was astounded and shocked and was frustrated uh, when, I, when I heard about these uh, crusades that were actually not all that good. I'm not sure they were good at all, really. And uh, they didn't begin well. How fancy saying that God had willed something that's so dangerous unless it's a scriptural thing that you know of that God has willed. But um, clearly these were not willed by God. And, And you know, the, the cynic in me sees this as a, a, a deliberate move by the Catholic Church to basically extend its territory and authority yeah. in, into the eastern half of the empire. So let's, let's set the tone for listeners because they may not be as familiar with this as well. Uh, there was a, a growing concern within the medieval world um, that the holy places where Jesus had lived and walked in modern-day Israel uh, were not under Christian control. They were, in fact, under Islamic. Yeah, that these Turks had ridden into the Holy Land. They'd, they'd taken the land, and the issue there, supposedly, was that it would make it difficult for people in the West to go on a pilgrimage uh, as part of the, the sacrament of penance, part of the uh, thing that you would have to do is maybe go on a pilgrimage, and maybe many did to the Holy Land. And and now with the presence of Muslims, that was not possible. And and the Eastern Empire, the Eastern Church, and the Eastern Emperor had asked for help from the West. I, I believe that the West used that as an excuse. Twenty years later, um to mount basically an invasion. That's, that's correct. And so for, for our listeners as well, you have to imagine uh, Christendom kind of split by this point between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And the, the Eastern Church was facing an, an ever-encroaching military presence um, from the Islamic world that, that frequently ended up right on their doorstep in, in Constantinople. And uh, it, it deeply concerned them about their own future prospects. So by asking the West to help them, 
fight this back. Uh, the West also saw an opportunity to make this land grab into uh, modern-day Israel and to, to take over this territory. And so they concoct this plan to, uh, to call forward uh, knights and nobles and peasants and others to build an army. Uh, well, that's it. But the, when the Pope gave his speech at Clermont, um, the idea was a, a few paid professional knights and soldiers would respond to his call. He was offering great wealth. Whatever you captured while you were there, you could bring back. And if you died on the way or in battle, then you would receive an indulgence. Your sin would be forgiven. You would wear a cross on the way to show that you'd committed yourself to this holy war, to this crusade. And so it's hard for us to maybe contemplate just how much that concept of an indulgence meant to people. It, it meant everything because uh, it was part of, of the, the system of forgiveness that uh, if you wanted an early escape from purgatory, uh, an immediate admittance to heaven, then you needed an indulgence from the papacy. And here you've got the Pope promising such a thing. He, and he's promising it not just to the wealthy, because they were selling these prior to this, but it's, it's to anybody. It's to anybody, but the, the crazy thing was that his speech was so effective that ordinary peasants responded in a way that nobody could have foreseen. Right. So you had maybe 30,000 peasants, one writer said, who were armed with nothing more than bad breath, and they <laughs> set off to walk two or 3,000 miles to the Holy Land uh, to kill Muslims who they knew really very little about. They went because they believed what the Pope had said. That it was God's will. Yes. Deus Volt, that's all it takes, right? Yeah, they, they were promised they would have success. They were promised that this was God's mission that they would, you know, God would bless them and, and they would be successful. They really wouldn't need weapons because they were going in the name of God. And they show up eventually uh, in the Holy Land and they're actually successful, which is shocking when well, you look back uh, on it. The, the knights and, and the military will be that the peasants basically get horrifically slaughtered, many of them, um, because they've no defense, really. Um, but they simply believe that the Pope couldn't tell anything but the truth. So as they go into the Holy Land, they're able to kind of move along the, the Mediterranean coast and create a wedge that uh, many of the Islamic armies just didn't even see coming. Uh, they, they eventually make their way to the city of Jerusalem, where they kill almost everybody in the city of Jerusalem. The mistake there, and again, this just goes to some of the... Um, the lack of proper education before getting there, uh, there were Christians in the yeah, city. <laughs> even on the way, they're killing whoever they meet. So the majority of who they're meeting in Anatolia are Greek Christians. And they're killing them. Yes. And, and they're stealing and they're robbing and they're setting fire. It's a trail of destruction from Europe to Constantinople. Uh, even as they're setting out in, in Europe, and this is, this is a, a, a place, place to point out some of the atrocities here. Uh, if you read the uh, Hebrew Chronicles of the First Crusade, uh, you, you read about 
uh, those who those peasants who are setting out from modern-day Germany are rounding up Jewish communities, placing them into the square uh, of the town, bringing in a bishop or a priest, and trying to force baptize them, at which point the fathers of the Jewish families are realizing what's going on, and they choose, instead of having their family convert, to perform a, a Jewish ritual called Kedush Hashem, and, and they actually are sacrificing their own families so much so that the, the rivers ran red with blood rather than convi- uh, convert or have any semblance of converting to Christianity. Um, you've got this mass wake of destruction uh, in almost every single place they go, uh, yet at the, end of the, at the end of the day when they make it to Jerusalem, they still take the city and they hold the city for some 80 years. Yeah, they, they have this kingdom of Christ in Jerusalem, uh, so-called, um, militarily um, after this event, the, the Crusades are really a failure. They, they carry on for maybe two to 300 years in total. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, many of them never get to the Holy Land and many of the soldiers become sick. Many of the Crusades simply turn and, and become anti-Semitic armies and, and warfare. These are, you know, these are pogroms, basically, many of them. Uh, they are backed by uh, anti-Semitic German warlords who, who use yeah. them for their own ends. There, there's so much of, of horror involved in, in the Crusades. It really is amazing. So for our listeners who've been kind of tracking along with us uh, here for almost 10 minutes, um, this doesn't sound like there was anything good that came out of this. Uh, was there anything that would maybe have been an unintended good consequence that came out of this type of uh, event? For myself, one of the good things that I see is that um, it, I do believe the Crusades do delay um, for long enough a, a Muslim invasion of Europe. Uh, so much so that even in the day of Luther, um, Islam is at the door yes. and, and the invasion really doesn't happen. Um, you know, a, a previous invasion had been stopped um, and, and then this is held off, I think, really because of the dis- distraction of the Crusades. Uh, so at least there was that one benefit. Um, they will change the whole face of Europe politically. And so many knights um, are, are killed in the Crusades that um, you have many fewer nobles in Europe. So you have the rise of, of strong monarchies from yes. that point on. So we start to see the countries of, of Europe uh, begin to emerge in the way that we would recognize them today. And it's also uh, some historians have, have postulated that this is where we really begin to see even more of a press for um, kind of a, a, a geographic uh, pride. So those who are coming from Germany are recognizing the distinctions of their language and a pride of origin from that region. Same with France, same with England. Uh, we definitely see that by the time uh, you get um, uh, going and you, you get into some of these later crusades. Uh, so as you as you look out, um, maybe uh, at the at the third crusade is you've 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 got uh, um, Richard the Lionhearted coming from England. You've got Philip Augustus of France. 
You've got uh, Frederick Barboza uh, from Spain. They're all pooling teams and resources to go and take uh, to take the Holy Land back after it's been lost uh, again. And uh, as they do so, they end up fighting each other <laughs> and having war against each other in another country. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the only other good thing I can see here that uh, I think the Crusades are really the first time that the average medieval Catholic has grounds on which to doubt what they're being told by the hierarchy of the church. That, that now, once the Crusades uh, promised such things and, and really didn't deliver, in fact, it was really completely the opposite, um, there is real doubt that if the, if the papacy could get something like this so badly wrong, um, what else might it get wrong in the areas of belief or practice? So people had grounds now for doubt. And I think that would begin to in increasingly be the case and, and then, of course, would develop into what the Reformation would be. And, and we see that in some of the, the early reform movements uh, as they're, they're, they're pushing against what were some clear errors. So, some of this came even out of um, what uh, some have referred to as the Children's Crusade of 1212. We might have all remember uh, from our childhoods perhaps the uh, the famed tale of the Pied Piper who came into town and uh, played his uh, his flute and somehow magically the 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 children would follow him out of town. Um, that legend or myth uh, grew up out of the preachers who would come around in the um, in that early 13th century and preach another crusade. But due to Subsequent waves of crusades were very few men left. Yeah, uh, you've lost the adults. You've lost the adults, and so they hear these emotional appeals, and there's no one to check them, and so these kids start following off after these um, these individuals who are leading different groups from different sections, and they end up getting uh, none. None of them are trained militarily. It's just a mass of young adults, most of who died or starved along the way. Uh, they eventually get into boats, and they, their their goal this time is to uh, take Egypt. If we can take Egypt and disrupt the power base there, then it should be easy to to get yeah, Jerusalem. They, they they believe that this would be the crusade of the innocents. That that God um, would have used the adults, but because of so much rampant sin, now He is going to use the children who are pure. And, uh, who are pure and and innocent and and Stephen, who led one of these crusades, maybe you know possibly thirty thousand children. Um, uh, he said that the the Mediterranean would dry up and they would be able to walk over to the Holy Land. And um, in the end, the ones who survived, they're basically sold into slavery right. to Muslims, North Africa, uh, Baghdad, and elsewhere. And and most of them simply disappear from history. It's, it's an horrific event within the Crusades. It, it really is. It's one of those ones that when I um, I, I talk to my students about this movement, and that, that just is one that flummoxes them. How, how could we even get to a point where uh, we have such a level of, uh, of trust or uh, emotional commitment that uh, we we just don't even have any thought about what is actually being said or going on that that children would would be kind of led away and there'd be no one to stop that. 
But is, that's it, though, isn't it? The, the amount of trust that existed between ordinary people and the church. The church proclaimed that it had life and death in the hands of the priests. And why would you not believe that if that's what you'd been told for so long? Now, of course, there are some kind of um, highlights or you know amusing parts of, of this whole adventure. It, it would be wrong just to concentrate on all the negative. Uh, you know, one person that I sometimes point out was a man called uh, Peter the Hermit. Mm -hmm. uh, he would lead the peasants uh, on their crusade, which was uh, not something that was wanted by the Pope at all, but maybe again, 25,000 people set out walking to Constantinople. And uh, Peter is revered incredibly. He, he's basically a hermit kind of beggar person. Uh, he rides this old donkey that uh, his followers revere almost as much as Peter himself. In right. fact, some of them say that uh, it looked exactly like him. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have that, right? Uh, this is this is just a a bleak moment uh, in history. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, all of our listeners should should always have questions. Anytime someone says God wills, and then fill in the blank, if it's not explicitly stated in Scripture, that just seems to be such a dangerous uh, road to walk down. And, and again, does it not touch on religious liberty? Um, here we have a, a period of several hundred years of, of military force being used a, against people that, of course, we don't agree with. But is military force the way to handle that in this situation? Right. And it built on so many different uh, frameworks uh, uh, that, that had been in place for years. And uh, as uh, individuals took part in that, uh, they just continued some of the uh, unfortunate myths that had been uh, built up uh, into, the, into some of the popular belief structures and systems. And Consequently, it just it just puts you into a place where this was was just the fruit of an age that um, really revealed how dangerous it can be when individuals don't have free access to the Word of God. Yeah, can't, to Scripture That's, can't can't read yes. themselves. Can't do uh, it's, as I inevitably uh, a student will ask the question of why did they do this? Why why are they why are they doing this? And when you when you stop and you think that. You know, probably around five percent of the populace, maybe a little more, were were literate. That's it. Yeah, and and who of them could read Latin? Right, and you and know. that becomes the other part of it. Uh, just such a complicated picture uh, of what's there. But it's wow. It's it's one where you know, in this week in America, we're celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, this is a downer of a topic for Thanksgiving. Why did you pick this again? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it is. Uh, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in oh, Britain. Oh, that's right. That's you forget on, we these celebrate things. it on July the 4th. That's right. That's right. And so it's helpful for us, I think, here in America, at least maybe to be thankful for uh, the realities of, uh, of how we can have access to Scripture and how we have religious liberty and how we have these things that um, we, we've, we've moved in a way where uh, this isn't necessarily uh, the the case at least in our context, uh, but it's also a, a reminder that um, short of 
people kind of questioning the the things that are going on and having the freedom to do so that we can all be convinced perhaps yeah, again, wrongly not to take for granted what we have we have scripture in our language because people suffered to make that available for us mm-hmm. and it's coming just a, a few uh, a few years after this crusading movement that we uh, begin to see those uh, increasingly becoming uh, a cry for these early reformers well first Individuals who are wanting to read more on the Crusades, uh, you can find actually quite a bit of information uh, on them. Uh, uh, you can go uh, again to uh, Google Books, and there are quite a few older sources that kind of just tell the rough uh, story that's there. Rodney Stark has a fascinating volume that was released uh, not too long ago that seeks to kind of rehabilitate the Crusades overall uh, from a, uh, a more negative movement to try to show how. The West did benefit from uh, the Crusades economically and uh, politically, uh, that there were some, there's some positives that come from that. That might be an interesting volume to, to some of our listeners. Uh, do you have any other sources that yeah, you would push to? The, the, I mean, the standard history of the Crusades, which really is regarded as, as primary sources because of all that he used, um, is a three volumes by uh, Stephen Runciman and... Uh, and then there's a, a one volume which I would always recommend by a man called Jonathan Riley Smith. And uh, in 300 pages, uh, it, it is a wealth of information. Uh, I, I think he does a masterful work in, in distilling it into such a relatively short volume so much of importance. And I would agree. In that particular volume, it strikes me that uh, he does a good job too for anybody who likes kind of the political intrigue that goes along with yes. this, about teasing that out and, and helping uh, readers connect with that. Well, with that, we're out of time for this week in church history. We do hope that you have an excellent Thanksgiving, that you take time uh, to remember to thank the giver of all good gifts uh, for all that we do have and all that he's provided us with, even in reflecting this week, especially for Uh, the capabilities we have for religious freedom, for worship, and uh, for the text of Scripture. And with that, we would tell you we look forward to talking with you next week on This Week in Church History.